0: And now that Paul's gone around the Roman Empire, yes, most of the synagogues threw him out. And the nation officially didn't want to hear, but in each city, he'd go to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And he says, I'm an Israelite. In Elijah's day, there was a remnant that God kept. Notice verse 4, I have kept for myself. In the same way then, verse 5, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. God is calling Jew and Gentile out today. God is in charge and he is calling out a people for his name and he is doing so by his gracious choice and we are to
1: proclaim that gospel. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue on our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part two of a message titled God's Remnant. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started.
0: Now watch what he's doing here. First he says, has God rejected his people? No way. I'm an Israelite. I'm an illustration of this. And then he says, what about what does the scripture say? And he cites scripture and he goes back to the time of Elijah. Notice, uh, and I just say this kind of parenthetically, look at at how he says that. Did you see that verse 2? Don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? But did you see there in the passage is in italics? That's really not in the Greek text. They fill it in in English to make it read smoother. But he basically says, Don't you know what the scripture says in Elijah? And this was written, you remember, before chapters and verses. So I'm, you know, I say, Well, that's in, you know, 1 Kings 18 and 19. But they don't talk that way. He just says what it says in Elijah. And Jesus said, when they came to him and thought they'd trick him, you know, with the question about marriage and heaven and what about the gal that was, you know, her husband kept dying and she'd marry his brother. And you remember that story? Jesus said, what does the scripture say? Haven't you read in? And then he just says, in the bush. (laughs) He uses the same thing. And our English smooths it out. But he couldn't say, haven't you read in Exodus 2 or 3? Because they didn't have the numbers yet. So he just referred to it. And uh, that's the way they would cite scripture. And so Paul just simply says here, didn't you read in Elijah? There was no book Elijah. It was just the passage about Elijah. And I point that out because it's kind of interesting. If you were to look in a, I'm quoting out of Mark 12 when I uh, tell you about what Jesus said in doing that. That's the very passage where when they brought him that trick question and thought they'd, you know, challenge him, he said, you know where your mistake is? You don't understand the scripture or the power of God. That's your problem. You don't understand the scripture. And then he said, Have you never read about the bush? And then he instructed them from scripture. And you know, as I was thinking on that, and I, this is an aside. It's a fairly lengthy one. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so often Christians tell me, and so often I hear my own voice even in my head saying, I wish it was easier. I wish he'd make this simpler. Don't you say that. Listen, they didn't even have references. They didn't even have the numbers. And Jesus said, I'll tell you your problem. You don't understand the scripture. Haven't you read? And he exhorted them to read the scripture and to submit to it. And you and I need to do the same thing. Don't be saying, oh, I wish it was easier. I wish he'd make it simple. He gave us exactly what we need. And he told us, don't you read it? And most of us would have to say, not like we should. Not like we should. And I'll tell you, if you're struggling, pick up your Bible and read it. Well, where should I read? I don't understand. I gotta get a system. I've gotta need a Bible study book. You just pick it up and read it. And read it continuously and read it prayerfully. And read it systematically in the sense of just pick up where you left off and keep reading. To where you can get to where, when he says, haven't you read, don't you know, about Elijah? You think, oh yeah, it comes to mind. Because you've been reading it. God uses his word in our lives that way. And Paul here says, don't you know what the scripture says in Elijah? And I'd have to say, you know, uh, most of us probably don't know. And Paul says, don't you know what the scripture says? And then he cites Old Testament truth to help us see this and I think I mentioned there's what 30 quotes of the Old Testament in these three chapters it's just littered with Old Testament quotes but I'll tell you where it is it's first Kings turn there with me first Kings 18 because we want to see what he's after here first Kings 18 Elijah he quotes Elijah interestingly enough and Elijah you know was called to minister in a very dark day Israel was being ruled by an immoral, dishonest man. And he had a pretty prominent wife, Ahab and Jezebel. And it was dark time for Israel. And Jezebel, in fact, hated the prophets of God, and we could translate today the scriptural truth, because in Israel, Elijah's day, the prophets spoke for God. Today, there are forces in our country that hate God's word. Jezebel, uh, who often it looked like kind of ran the country, and Ahab just did what she said, why Jezebel was slaughtering the prophets of God, so much so that Obadiah, who was sort of influential in Ahab's administration... Why well, he was able to hide uh, a couple of groups of prophets in caves? But they had that's that's the place the word of God had to be by now, hidden in caves. That's the darkness of this era. And Elijah comes on the scene. You remember in First Kings eighteen, and he speaks for God, and uh, he speaks fearlessly and i usually think of him when i think of like john the baptist i think of a powerhouse of a man and that's certainly what you see in chapter 18 of uh, of kings but you remember he said it's not going to rain till i says say it'll rain and the new testament picks up on that but i want to pick it up over at verse 17 when ahab finally tracked elijah down or i should say elijah came to ahab but they got together And it came about when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is this you, you troubler of Israel? In dark days, often it seems that the word of God is looked at as the trouble. You troubler of Israel, why do you bring up these things and tell us how we should live? And so Ahab calls Elijah, you troubler of Israel of Israel. And you know, I think Paul knew exactly uh, this same feeling. When he recounts in 2 Corinthians his burdens, the heartaches, the persecutions that he went through, one of the things he says right in the middle of the list, he says, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true. And the nation Israel was tempted to say and did say to Paul, you troubler of Israel. How could you reject Judaism and follow this Jesus, you troubler of Israel? And that's what Ahab called Elijah, you troubler of Israel. And Elijah said, verse 18, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you've forsaken the commandments of the Lord and you have followed the Baals. I'm not the troubler of Israel. You are Ahab and Jezebel and all the apostasy that had taken place. Verse 19, Now then send and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel together with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. They had 850 prophets on the public uh, payroll, you might say, of Baal. That's how dark the days were. In Israel, God's land, God's people, Eight hundred and fifty prophets. He said, now get those together. So Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people didn't answer him a word. That's how dark things had become. Elijah calls their bluff, and he says, listen, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if he's Baal, follow him. But they were silent. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. And you remember he proposed a showdown. And he said, we'll call forth, you can take an ox, we'll get two ox, you can pick the ox, you prophets of Baal. After all, it's 850 to 1. And he says, you pick your ox and you make an offering to Baal and you call for Baal to burn it up with fire. And I'll offer one to the Lord God of Israel. And whoever answers by fire, verse 24, the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered and said, that's a good idea. Seemed like a fair thing, good idea. So you remember the showdown. They danced around at Baal all day long. They gashed themselves according to their custom. They did all the pagan things that go with false religion. They called on their God and nothing happened. Nothing happened. Then Elijah quietly, notice, after he'd soaked his altar with water, the altar of the Lord, and soaked it three times... Then it came about, verse 36, at the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. No ranting and raving, no slicing, no nothing. He just simply said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that Thou, O Lord, art God, and that Thou hast turned their heart back. Then fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Oh, what an answer. What a dramatic victory. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord He is God, and it seemed like such a great victory, and it was, but you know, it was short lived when in a culture, when a country has turned away, when unbelief has taken root, even in this kind of display of God's dramatic power and supernatural ability, though they seem to say, The Lord is God, yes, we believe. It was very short lived, and turn to chapter nineteen, which is where Paul cites. Look at chapter nineteen, verse one. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and uh, I didn't take the time to read he slaughtered, he had him slaughter all the prophets of Baal, and they were willing to. And there was a cleansing of Israel, so it seemed. But what Elijah told or I mean Ahab told Jezebel, and Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So May the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow. Oh, that's how dark the day was that Elijah lived in. And he, Elijah, look at verse 3, was afraid and arose and ran for his life. You know what? The Bible says that Elijah was a man made just like me and you cut out of the same piece of cloth. Isn't it striking to think of strong, bold Elijah calling the 850 prophets their bluff, standing up to Ahab, and then Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. And he runs in fear. And he ran. And he sat down. Verse 4, by a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. You ever hear that before? We kind of forget that part of it. He got so depressed. You know what Paul said in 2 Corinthians? Paul himself said, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Paul had hit some real low days himself, and he knew that following Christ was not one easy you know, bed of roses. And Elijah, even after this great victory, despaired even of life, and he said, just, just take me, just let me die. And he says, look at verse 10 of chapter 19. I've been zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, torn down thine altars, killed thy prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. He was low. And you remember, the Lord sustained him and took him yet another section of the chapter and you get over to verse 14 and he says it again. Then he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, torn down thine altars and killed thy prophets with the sword and I alone am left and they seek my life to take it away. And God answered him and said to him, Go, and he says, I want you to anoint Hazael, king over Syria. I want you to anoint Jehu, king over Israel. And I want you to anoint Elisha as the prophet who will replace you. I'm still in charge. You're still my mouthpiece. You're still the one I'm working through, Elijah. And I'm going to continue to work. And you're the one who's going to anoint these different ones. And I'm going to bring judgment through these ones. And yet, look at verse 17. It shall come about the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu, shall put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha, shall put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. I am going to bring judgment, Elijah, and it is a dark day. And I'm going to use the king of Syria. I'm going to use the king of Israel. And I'm even going to use the prophet of God that's going to replace you, Elisha. But I'm going to keep, I'm going to protect for myself 7,000 that you're not aware of, Elijah. 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Now look back at Romans 11 and watch how Paul applies this. I alone am left That's the way Elijah felt. There was apostasy everywhere he looked. Do you ever feel that way? You're the only Christian left. It's so lonely at your particular place of employment. Or in your family, no one wants to hear about it. It's like a you're a fanatic or something. Or in your school, you seem to be the only one who really means business for the Lord. You see, Elijah felt that way. And he says, I alone... Am left. But what is the divine response to him? Verse 4. I've kept for myself 7,000 men who've not bowed the knee to Baal. Yes, things were dark in Elijah's day, but God still had His gracious remnant. And it was a remnant according to His gracious choice. He still preserved 7,000 who hadn't bowed the knee to Baal. I know today, for instance... There are many in Christianity, if you think of it in the large and broad sense, in apostasy. There are many churches that don't teach the Word of God, that don't even hold to the Word of God. And sometimes as the culture is moving further and further away from adherence to God's Word and God's truth, it can seem as if we're the only ones left. And maybe you've felt very lonely, and I'll tell you, to follow Christ is not to walk with the majority. To follow Christ is not to run with the crowd. Young person, to follow Christ, I'm not asking you to do what everybody's doing. I'm asking you to do what no one else may be doing, it seems. It's to go against the tide. It's to walk upstream, not downstream, just float on down. It's to press on. It's to take the narrow path, not the broad road that leads to destruction. And in every day, it's that way. And it may seem dark today, but God still has His people. And I'll tell you what, I've had, I was just talking with someone this week about it. As the days get darker, the opportunity is all the brighter in the sense that as we walk with God, our light shines brighter in the darkness. And so in a day like Elijah's, we rightfully think of him as a great victor, even though in the real heat of the battle, he felt often alone, even to the point where he said, Lord, they've all bowed the knee to Baal. They're all seeking to kill. All, they've, saw, they've killed most of the prophets, and now they're seeking to kill me. And he forgot about Obadiah, how he'd hid 50 in this cave and 50 in that cave. He forgot about the 100 he even knew about. And God said, I've got 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And I'll tell you, as we approach the end of the age, we can be sure. Jesus said it's going to be dark days. But he said we're to go out and proclaim the gospel. And Paul, you know, is still got Romans 10 on his mind as he's thinking about, is God finished with Israel? No way. Yes, God is reaching out to a disobedient and obstinate people. And yes, it seems as if they're never going to hear. But he says, I'm an Israelite. And in Elijah's day, there were 7,000. And when Paul spoke this, how many thousand Jewish Christians were there? Well, we know there were thousands. 3,000 alone on Pentecost. 5,000 by the time you get to chapter 4 of Acts. And now that Paul's gone around the Roman Empire, yes, most of the synagogues threw him out. And the nation officially didn't want to hear. But in each city, he'd go to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And he says, I'm an Israelite. In Elijah's day, there was a remnant that God kept. Notice verse 4, I have kept for myself. In the same way then, verse 5, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. Yes, they might be disobedient and obstinate as a nation. But God is calling Jew and Gentile out today. And yes, we might live in a dark day when the culture itself and the government and all the governments of the world, it seems it's harder and harder to see the gospel go out in one sense, but on the other, in the other side of things, God is in charge and He is calling out a people for His name and He is doing so by His gracious choice and we are to proclaim that gospel. And then Paul, and we'll close with this, look at verse 6. Even by mentioning God's gracious choice, just thinking about it, God's sovereign purposes for Israel, His faithfulness to His promises, Israel's stubborn unbelief, but God's gracious choice overruling, He has to say it. He says, listen, if it's by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. That's a fitting place for us to stop this morning and say this. God is a God of grace. He saves by grace. And if it's by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Now that's not a no longer uh, that's temporal. He's not saying it used to be by works, now it's by grace. It's a logical no longer. He says it can't be by grace and works. If it's by grace, it's got to be by grace. If you're going to be saved today, If I'm going to heaven, it's because of God's grace, not any merit. You cannot mix grace and works. If it's by works, grace is no longer grace, he says. You know, I'd encourage you Christians, memorize verse 6. Have it ready, because one of the keys to explaining the gospel, and we're all called to do that is to explain to people, you cannot mix oil and water. You can't mix merit and unmerited favor. God saves by grace, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works. God is graciously saving Jews in Paul's day, Jews today. He's graciously saving Jew and Gentile alike today. The gospel goes out for whoever will call on the name of the Lord. And God's purposes will not be thwarted. He is still the God of history. We're going to see it move on from here and unfold. But in the meantime, we're to proclaim this good news of God's grace. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved.
1: You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, God's Remnant, a message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're excited to report that the Romans Project is expanding rapidly into the countries of India, Nepal, Thailand, and Cambodia. We invite you to click on the link for the Romans Project on the front page of our website at downtownbible.org. There you'll find monthly updates, testimonies, and images from Romans Project outreach around the world. To learn more, navigate to romansproject.org or connect with us at facebook.com romansproject. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the Ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast.
0: To have the Word of God and not respond to it makes one only more culpable. Uh, Unbelief leads to hardness. Oh, beware. Beware of privilege. And I speak now to us. We have the Word of God. We have teaching. We have clear explanation of the gospel. We have so much. And that can easily lead to pride. And that can lead to unbelief. And that will lead to hardness. A spirit of stupor sets in. And some of the hardest people to reach are those who've been around the truth all their lives. They've heard, but they've become spiritually arrogant, and that pride
1: has led to unbelief. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings a four-part message titled, Do Not Be Arrogant. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.